slot available was early on Sunday and just after sunrise the city was deserted. I reached the church of Santa Maria della Grazia as the priest was welcoming the first worshippers. Minutes later I was escorted with 20 others through security doors to the dim convent hall where Leonardo's painting fills one wall. The hour added something otherworldly to the atmosphere. None of us seemed fully awake. The silence felt tangible. I am aware this was a boringly predictable location in which to feel the spine shiver of something beyond words. Transcendent? Divine? But I did. And powerfully. Have you experienced God's glory? Have you been aware of his presence in such a tangible way that heaven seemed to be touching earth? As if somehow the divide between the two was melting? Sometimes in worship we really sense God's presence so strongly, don't we? Maybe in a time of prayer or we find ourselves being caught unaware by God's just possibility in us and think, ah. In the passage today, um, Peter, James and John had ex- astonishing experience of God's glory. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 17. I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's alive to us. Help us to hear what you're saying to us today. Help us to listen well. In Jesus' name, amen. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but he's done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. What's this passage about? It's about a glory greater glory. The transfiguration is a stunning event in the life of Jesus. It reveals his heavenly glory. That veil between heaven and earth is drawn back for a moment, and we and the disciples get a glimpse of eternity beyond. The message puts it like this. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. 
When the light poured from his face, his clothes were filled with the light. He's beautiful, exalted, glorious. Glorious though this scene is, the transfiguration is pointing to a greater glory. That of God's rescue and his redeeming love, which would be won through Jesus' willing death on the cross. And it was this greater glory that Peter had difficulty with, and which earned him Jesus' rebuke because he was against the purposes of God. The passage started by saying it was six days later, it was six days later in that time, that Peter had declared that Jesus was Messiah. And then he said, But no, Lord, suffering and death isn't the way. How could victory possibly come through suffering and death? Jesus is moving towards the cross. And the pace is quickening. And Moses and Elijah are there talking to him about his death. All through the Old Testament, God had his rescue plan. And he kept on unfolding it bit by bit. Moses, who represents here the law, when he went up on the mountain, he received the commandments from God. Commandments that none of us, and certainly not the people of Israel, none of us could keep. And Elijah representing the prophets who would speak again and again of the Messiah to come, who would be the one who could keep God's law perfectly and who would rescue us. Jesus was about to fulfill this. And here the three of them were on the mount. John 12, 23 says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The seed must fall into the ground and die. mountaintop would be replaced by a hilltop, where a prince of glory would willingly give up his life. And out of the cloud comes the father's endorsement to his son. This is my dear son, and I'm delighted with him. Where have we heard these words before? Before Jesus began his ministry, he was baptized by John in River Jordan. He did it, yes, as an act of obedience, but also it was like a prophetic enactment of his death and resurrection. He went down below the water and he came to arise. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and these words came again, expressing the Father's pleasure and love for him. His blessing, his Father's blessing. And now as his life draws near to its conclusion and the awful reality of the cross looms large before him, God repeats these words of love and encouragement. It's like he's near the finish line. I know some of you were in the cycle of the long cycle race last week and no doubt you had supporters and friends there saying, yeah, nearly there. It's the Father saying, with the Spirit, come on, you can do it. You're nearly there, don't give up now. Within reach. The glory that the cross will bring is in their sights. For Moses and Elijah here, they were Jesus by his side, and I'm sure he was glad of their company. But soon, replacing Moses and Elijah, he'd be flanked by two criminals on a hill outside Jerusalem. One would remain unrepentant that he died, but the other could see Jesus, that he was the King of glory, and he gave his life. Jesus on that cross. On the mountaintop, Jesus is revealed in glory. His clothes are shining white. On the hilltop, Jesus will be revealed in shame 
trips to this bird is the hanging lady on the cross. On the mountain, God is present in a bright cloud, but on the hilltop, Jesus is forsaken by God as darkness covers the land. On the mountain, God declares his love for his son, but on the hilltop, it's left to a Gentile soldier to voice the truth that this is indeed God's son. So struck was he by the manner of Christ's death. And of course, on the mountain, Jesus wasn't yet bearing the scars in his hands and his feet and his side that he would gain on the hilltop and carry with him into eternity. This is God's greatest glory. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is closer than we think. The disciples stumbled into this other reality. A bit like Lucy stumbled through the back of the wardrobe, through the fur coats into Narnia. The early Celtic Celtic Christians sometimes talk about thin places where God's presence seemed especially close. The journalist at the beginning of of my message, he talked about places as a thin place. On some occasions, it's like this separation between the two, between heaven and earth, just becomes dissolved, and we get a glimpse of the eternal reality beyond. Moses and Elijah are they ghosts and visions? Were they dreaming? It reminded me of a, a silly show I saw once at Michael McIntyre on the Midnight Game Show, where some poor, unsuspecting person is lying asleep in their bed and suddenly inverts Michael McIntyre through the door with some famous people. And he's the one, like, oh my goodness, these are my famous people, they're in my bedroom. <laughs> you know, he starts firing questions at him, and he's just, I imagine it was a bit like that for Peter, he was babbling nonsense about erecting shelters and stuff like that. And Jesus, he told the disciples not to speak of what they'd seen, because they had just seen the heroes of their faith, alive and well in God's kingdom, who had gone before. But who would believe them? Such a crazy story. And he wisely said, don't say anything until after I've been raised from the dead because then it would gain a lot more credibility after Jesus had appeared in life again himself. What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is closer than we think? Have you ever seen pictures of old Japanese houses or seen them on telly before where they have those paper walls and they've got these sliding doors for really ancient houses? Someone described it to me once that God's kingdom is like it's like the other side of that paper wall. It's so thin that, you know, if God chooses to, he can just punch a hole right through that paper and something from a future reality of eternity breaks through into our present. It's, that's what happens, isn't it, when someone is healed or we have a really close experience with the Lord. It's like God's just making his presence known to us now and things change. I so want to live with that expectation that God is near and to have that awareness that God is right there, right there, any moment he can burst through. You see, we don't have to go up a mountain. We don't have to go to a special place to find God's presence. He can draw close at any time. We had a really interesting experience about three months ago when we were coming back from Australia and we were in a taxi on the way home. And it soon became apparent that the taxi driver was a Christian. And he'd had a very close relationship with his father, who was also a Christian. 
And um, he said that his father died and he'd become very depressed and he hadn't been able to work for a number of months. But then he sort of got himself together and he'd gone back to work. And one night when he was waiting in their office, there was a loud sort of knock, knock, knock at the door. And there was this elderly lady who said, I must go home to my, to my home and I want you to take me. And it was really late at night. And uh, the place was out in Old Windsor and that's sort of near where this um, taxi driver Michael lived. But he said, sure, I'll take you. And as they drove home, the elderly lady started talking to him and said, you're sad, aren't you? And he said, no. And she said, no, you're sad. And he said, no, there's no way he's going to let anything on to this lady. And then she said, I want you to know that your father's here and it's all okay. And at this point, I was thinking, is this okay? Is this okay? <laughs> I felt no check in my spirit at all. This, this, was, this was odd at all. And she went on saying to him, and you know, you can, you can talk anytime to your father. And just to say, show that that's true, go back and ask your mother about your work, because you nearly died when you were born, and your father had to rush you into hospital. And he didn't let anything on, but he was absolutely gobsmacked. He went back to his mum and he said, Mum, what happened to my birth? And she said, what do you mean, what happened to your birth? And he said, what happened to my birth? And eventually it came out that he'd been born with a cord wrapped around his neck. He almost died. His father had to rush him into hospital um, to save his life. But he said, why didn't you ever tell me? And she said, well, you were all right. So I didn't bother. <laughs> but he needed to hear that now, didn't he? And as he dropped the old lady at her house, because she was beginning to walk up the road, he just turned the car around, and she'd gone. And as we were, as he was sharing this story with us, we just became so aware, and we just talked with him, and just said, you know, your father, your father wants you to know that you can call him, you can talk to him anytime. His presence is here with you, in the cab, yes, all the time. It wasn't his earthly father she was talking about. She was talking about his heavenly father. And through that, not only did I think it sort of kind of like wean him off that sorrow and the bereavement he had for his earthly father, but it also connected him more deeply with his heavenly father and his heart was healed. Thirdly, our greatest need is to listen to Jesus. God exhorted his disciples. He said, listen to him. Why? After his lovely person, listen to him. Now this could only be for the disciples' ears only because nobody else could be relevant to. I mean, they've been with Jesus for three years. They've shared lots of meals. They've had lots of chats, you know. They've often quizzed him and asked him questions and things. What could the Father mean listening to you? Judging things, there's a, there's, I find it hard to listen properly sometimes, and it's a bit of a joke in our family. Sometimes when I'm remembering an event from the past, I'm so convinced that I'm right, and uh, I've remembered it correctly. But then I realise later on that I've been mistaken. Um, it's, I have to be serious on what's right, and for everyone else to work out laughing. But Peter hadn't been listening. 
we haven't been looking at what Jesus was saying. You know, all this suffering and death stuff didn't fit with his ideas of the conquering Messiah coming to deliver Israel from her enemies. But he was listening now. He was stunned into silence, in fact, as the Father's voice cut across his own. And all three disciples hit the deck terrified. as they make their way down the main mountain takes on a very different tone to one they'd had six days earlier. Because instead of arguing and contesting, the disciples ask questions that they genuinely want to get their head around. They were confused. There's this bit about Elijah and John the Baptist, which seems a bit confusing for us, but there were some technical questions because from the scriptures they knew Elijah had to come before Jesus and here was Elijah on the mountain, he come after Jesus and they, they couldn't quite understand the whole order of things and then they finally realized, oh, Elijah actually was, you know, really pointed to John the Baptist and he had to So it was all that sort of stuff and it all became clear to them. But you can really get from this passage that they're trying to listen, they're trying to understand. And so this time when Jesus speaks about his suffering, as he does, it's really prejudging matters. They really ask whether they have an inquiry and an open heart as God's ways become clearer to them. Listening to Jesus requires choosing to trust in his goodness, because we don't always fully understand God's ways. Remember Mary, she was very puzzled when an angel said, you're going to have a baby, she was a virgin. But her response was an open one. How is this going to happen? It wasn't like, how is this going to happen? (laughs) If we want to understand God's ways, it helps to ask the right sort of questions. So when we don't understand something, something seems difficult. This is anyway what I'm trying to do. It's not like, why isn't this happening, Lord? Why aren't you answering my prayers? I've prayed that and you're not coming through for me. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And the whole sort of attitude behind that is very confronting and unbelieving, really. Because what we're saying is, I've already decided what I think is best. And, you know, you're not coming through. You know, what I think is best, you do it in this way, and I should have heard by now. Transfiguration is pointing to an even greater glory. And it speaks in John. You already know this, but I'll just read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'd like to pray now and have some ministries about people.
years ago, I had a dream. Um, I was at a celebration meal with some friends, and we were enjoying a nice meal, sit-down meal, and the door opened, and a rack of clothes got wheeled in. And the clothes were dirty, and they were old and scrappy, and, you know, totally out of place. And each one had the name of somebody written on the label, or, you know, like, mum used to sell any old, old name tag. And they also had a price tag on them, and I thought, what's this about?
And we know you can break in at any time. And we will catch glimpses of eternal glory before we're with you face to face. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer today, please either talk to the person later on who's going to come with you today or, or myself or Andy or um, um, Rob or any, any, anybody that you think might know what I'm talking about. And um, we love talking to our brother. But Father, we also pray now that you'd help us to listen. Speak, Lord, and teach us to hear. Help us to ask the right questions with an open heart. Help us to hear your still, small voice, rather than the loud, demanding, accusing voice that judges myself and others. Help me to listen from my heart, Lord. And just as we wait now in God's presence and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, that we invite you more and more. If there's something you're particularly wrestling with, is an opportunity to lift it up to the Father now. Put aside all the prayers that you've prayed which don't seem to achieve.